In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. The one thing that gives us comfort, I suppose, as Christians, is that we believe that God exists. And especially not just that he exists, but that he has authority. He has something that he gives us. He, he is in control of our lives somehow. Not controlling our lives, but in control of, because we submit ourselves to him. We give ourselves to him. And I suppose that needs an element of, of trust from our side. Do we really trust God? Do we trust his sovereignty, his authority? But at the same time, do we trust that we can put ourselves in his hands and then let him act? Let him do what he needs to do. If you look at the lives of the apostles, they had a really difficult time. The apostles were chosen out of lots of different places, fishermen, tax collectors, people who our Lord chose along the way. Their lives were changed significantly. They were called to do something they had no idea how to do. And they were taken completely out of their comfort zones. They were taught, they were mentored for three years, and then left. Left to do their thing, left to carry on the teaching they had received. If that wasn't bad enough, when they were going to go, they knew that their lives wouldn't be easy. And our Lord was very clear with them. He, he said in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 24, then they will deliver you up tribulation and kill you. Why? You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So not only had they given everything up, but in giving everything up and following him, they became targets. It's interesting to see how we would react to that. What would we do? You'd expect that if we give something up, if we sacrifice something, then we're going to get something back. That's why, surely, that's why we sacrifice. It is, but it depends what we're hoping to get back. God doesn't give us like for like. He actually gives us the exact opposite. So, he said to the fisherman, come follow me. You'll no longer fish, but you'll be fishers of men. You'll be evangelists, you'll be disciples, you'll be apostles. You'll be those who declare my name. The woman at the well went from being a woman who went to get water to being one who went and preached people who lived around her. And so on and so forth, we see that God changes lives. And if we're really going to want to put ourselves in his hands, we need to be ready for our lives to change. Significantly. Let's face it, anyone can make a small mistake, um, a small change. Anyone can make a small shift. Anyone can make an alteration. But a massive, significant change to our lives a turning point 
needs an omnipotent God. Of course, humanity could have gone through with shifts from the children of Israel to being those in the New Testament to living in a different culture. But to live as those who had received salvation through the cross and through the resurrection needed the cross and the resurrection. It was a pivotal point in their lives. Pivotal point in humanity, but a pivotal point in their lives. We often look at God as the one who rebukes, who punishes. But we don't understand what's behind all of that. There's a beautiful quote from St. Isaac the Syrian, who says, a man who chooses to consider God as an avenger, presuming that in his manner he bears witness to his justice, so if I just want God to be my avenger, to do things for me, then you accuse him of being void of goodness. If he's going to be my hitman, right? I'm putting out a contract, he's my hitman, he's taking care of it. Where's the goodness in that? It based, it's based on me, it's based on what I want, what I want to be done to that person in that situation. But he says something else then. He says of God, the aim and design of his message is the correction of men. That's what he came for. He came to correct us, to change us. He knew we'd been going astray. He knew we'd been changing. And he came to change us. He came to apply a huge shift in the world and in our lives personally to change us into a new creation, a new being, a new heaven and a new earth with a new creation that was me. Completely changed, completely transformed. He then goes on to say, and if it were not that, we should be stripped of the honor of our free will. So basically, if God is just here to rebuke us, then he's going to rebuke us, he's going to force us. But the fact that he is here to change us means he wants us to have a new will, but a free will, a will that chooses him. I want us also to find solace in what we read in the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 13. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So even when he took them, when he changed them, when he changed their lives, when he redirected them, he was never going to leave them. He was never going to forsake them. Even when he left them and ascended, he sent them the Holy Spirit. Because he doesn't want us to be alone in this world. He doesn't want us to face the world on our own. He wants us to be changed, to be transformed, of course but doesn't want us to be those who have no hope in the world. I mean, even when God looked upon 
the children of Israel in Egypt, he said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. So he hears. That's why when we pray, ask for whatever you want. Ask. There's a huge conversation. You know, we had our young adults retreat last week, and one of the things we were saying is, do you pray and ask about things? Is this abusing a relationship with God? Or do you not and just wait till you build the relationship up? Of course, it's a balance. It's a very strong balance. It's a balance of saying, I want to build a relationship up, but at the same time, I want to be able to have access to God and say, you know what, you're still my father. I may have, I may have misbehaved. I may have walked away. I may have done things wrong. I may have hurt you, but you're still my father. And I want to become better. I want to be a new creation, a new person. But at the same time, I need you to help me. Because this mountain I'm climbing is just too high. And I can't do it alone. There are people who want to kill me. There are people who want to persecute me. For your name's sake. And because it's for you, then I need your protection, your support. And he's fine with that. He's fine with us coming and saying, listen, <clears throat> I've messed up. What God wants us to do is to admit our weakness, admit our need, admit our dependence. And there's nothing God loves more than to say to him, Father. By saying Father, we're admitting we're his children. We're admitting that he's bigger than us, he's stronger than us, he's wiser than us, he's more capable than us, and that we need him. And no matter what we do, we're reassured in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6, when God says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. We change, our circumstances change, our reactions, our actions change, everything changes. But he doesn't change. He's stable. He's powerful. The important thing is for us to know that when our lives are changing, that the change will not be too big for us to handle. It's a process. We change gradually. We change one step at a time. And even when God wants us to have a significant change, like Saul becoming Paul, like Simon becoming Peter, he will give us the grace to be able to do it. He's not going to force something on us that we're incapable of doing. Because at the end of the day, if he makes us change, it's change for the better. If he gives us a new life, it's to empower us, not to disempower us. The book of Job chapter 4, chapter 40, sorry, verse 2 says, speaking to Job, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. 
Now, there are lots of things we're going to see along the way that we don't agree with, don't approve of, don't understand. But what do we do? Do we rebuke God for it? Do we say, God, this is really harsh, it's unfair, it's wrong? Or do I say, you know, I've been in your hands, so I understand that whatever I have is from you. Or I've been away, so whatever has happened to me is my fault. And in either case, I know that I'm safe with you. Because realistically, when, when catastrophes, when bad things befall us, it's either going to be the time when we're with God, in which case He's in control and He'll protect us, or we're away from God, in which case we have left ourselves open to that. And, but if we come running back, He will still be able to save us and support us. You see, it takes us such a long time to understand what God wants. Because we try to contain Him in our thought process. We keep saying, well, but I wouldn't have done this and I wouldn't have done that. Of course not, we wouldn't have. Because we're different, we're human. And it's reassuring, in the book of Isaiah chapter 55, where God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts. So don't be surprised if things are different, if things are unexpected. Don't be surprised if you find something along the way that you didn't plan for. Don't be surprised if suddenly I want to change your life because you're in a certain place that you shouldn't be in, or that you're capable of better than that. I want to give you strength. I want to release you. I want to liberate you. And so, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your thoughts are today, now, here. Your thoughts are wanting to do certain things in a certain way. Because, you know, you and I are limited to the here and now. We can try to plan for the future. We can try to, to be proactive. But we can't guarantee a future. We don't know what the future brings. We don't know what it holds. And so we're going to speculate. For God, there is no speculation. The past, the present, and the future are the same. He doesn't speculate. He doesn't take risks with us. We think it's a risk. Am I sure this is right? If my mind is the mind of Christ, if I go back to this and say, well, if my thoughts, God, are your thoughts, then I have nothing to worry about. If my ways are your ways, then we're, we're agreed. Because if we put our lives together like a jigsaw, it makes sense at the end. So we often look at a piece in a jigsaw puzzle and think, what is that? Doesn't make sense. Just odd colors, odd shapes, cutouts. You look at the next bit and that doesn't make sense either. But there's a nice bit here that looks pretty with pretty colors on it, so you like that. And we we cherry pick, we pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. And that's why I love Romans 8, that reminds us and says, and now we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. 
all things. So every one of these pieces, even the odd pieces, the irregular pieces, the strange looking pieces, once they all go together, you see this vision of beauty that was always there. We just couldn't see it collected. We couldn't see it together. We, we couldn't see it assembled because we're in the process of putting down piece by piece and reconciling this once whole picture because you know how do they make jigsaw puzzles? They have a picture first, then they cut it out. It's not created as little pieces. It starts as one piece, then it's cut out, fragmented, and what we need to do is put it back together. So God created us in his image and according to his likeness, this beautiful picture. And then when we sin, that fragments all over the place. We're distracted, we're sinning, we're, we're, we're off on a tangent, all of those things. And it's up to us then to pick the pieces, put them back together. And once we do put them back together, if our thoughts are his thoughts, <clears throat> if our mind is his mind, then they all back to go back together properly and beautifully and recreate, not create, but recreate that beautiful image and likeness that we were firstly created in before we split it up and cut it up. And, you know, the other verse that always reassures us is God wants us to be happy. God wants us to be safe. And I suppose it, it's not random that when our Lord speaks in parables, he speaks, of course, about things that make, make sense contextually. But also about imagery, it makes a difference. So when we've spoken to about the flock and the shepherd, you think of sheep, you think of defenseless animals. Cute, fluffy, nice, friendly. You know, they don't harm anything. They, 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 most people like sheep. And they follow their shepherd. And when he says to us in Luke 12, do not fear little flock, it suddenly brings that imagery into our minds. Don't worry. Just as these sheep are pure and innocent and sometimes even defenseless, but they're protected by their shepherd, you are my flock. You're my sheep. I'll protect you even with my life. And if we look at you know, John 10, it goes on to, what is a shepherd? What is a shepherd? Lays down his life. And that's what he did. He tries to serve us, tries to lead us, and then when it comes down to paying the ultimate price, he will also do that. He won't shy away from it. No matter what we go through, there is always a hope in God. It's one thing we need to be remembering. Psalm 62 says, My soul, wait silently for God alone. For my expectation is for Him. I'm not waiting for anything else. I'm not waiting for princes and principalities. I'm not waiting for kings and kingdoms. I'm not waiting for justice of this world. 
I'm not waiting for riches. I'm not waiting for wealth. I'm not waiting for prominence. I'm not waiting for external factors. I'm waiting for Him. And how often do we wait for Him? Even in these deeply transitional times, we take it in our own hands. We want to do it ourselves. But how often do we wait for Him? So, as we go away tonight, I want us to realize that we're in, in the hands of a mighty God who takes us on an incredible journey. It will sometimes, often, be totally unexpected. Things that we've never thought of. But the greater the shift and the more unexpected the change, the more we realize that He will be by our sides to make that change possible. He didn't wait for Paul to create himself, or for Peter to create himself. He, through his grace, through his power, through his teaching, through his guidance, through everything he gave them, he made them who they were. He transformed their lives as he can transform ours. We are no different to them. Our journey is no different to theirs. The only difference is when he says, follow me, and follow me doesn't mean leave everything you have. Sometimes even follow me where you are. Follow me, but follow me in your heart, in your work, in your family, in your community. Follow me in deed and mind and thought. Follow me in practice and word. Follow me in kindness. If we do that, then we'll see beautiful things, transformative things, things that change us beyond our wildest imagination, and things that make us, if we follow them, optimally what He wants, not just what we expect. And glory be to God forever.